Welcome to the Week in Sports Cars on the Marshall Pruitt Podcast, brought to you by Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, and TorontoMotorsports.com. Oh, and there's a fourth. There's a fourth brought to you by... It is a swelteringly masculine (laughs) heap of England. Yeah. Also known as Graham Goodwin, editor of DailySportsCar.com. You should go to the website. It's a good thing. Um, Voice and face of the Asian Le Mans series, European Le Mans series, Weka Le Mans series, World Endurance Championship. What else, man? Is there anything else you do uh, at all? It's, it's, it's amazing I find to do time to do anything else, isn't it? Good evening, everybody. And good evening, by the way, from Trackside Yas Marina. Um, I'm here with, as Marshall says, the Asian Le Mans series and broadcasting this weekend for the final two races of this again this quick fire season uh, in Abu Dhabi with our good mate Ollie Gavin it's great fun um, broadcasting with Ollie and hopefully under the lights here we might be able to see what the hell's going on because we couldn't see anything at Dubai it gets very very dark uh, there so yeah that's what we're up to um, it's been a very busy few weeks and it looks set to be busier still as we come out of this season and Pretty soon after that, we'll hear, I'm sure, what happens with the Le Mans entry. We've just had the LMS entry. We've got Sebring beginning to come together for round two of the MC WeatherTech Sports Car Championship and the opening round and prologue before that of the FIWEC. There's a lot going on, MP, and that's without talking about what's coming next year and the year after that. Stuff. Lots of stuff. stuff. Breaking exclusive scoop. Lots of stuff happening in the <laughs> coming years. Do we want to talk about some timely newsy stuff before we jump into our patented listener Q&A-driven show? Well, I can tell you what woke me up this morning, um, ooh, um, and that is uh, because if I describe exactly where I am, uh, so out of my window and looking down is the exit of the bridge under the hotel at Yas Marina. So I'm in the W Hotel on the fifth floor on the outside of the bridge uh, and was broken up this morning by a howling V12 engine. And that is the new Velox uh, Fangio um, track-focused hypercar, uh, which has been here for uh, effectively a media day today. Uh, so this is not the LMH version of that car, which has been promised, although we are hearing that that should progress. There are going to be 12 of these magnificent beasts based on a Ferrari F12 Tour de France uh, chassis and with the Ferrari V12 in it. But um, whereas it's fair to say that I was somewhat skeptical that we might see uh, a hypercar version of that car, and I think it would have to be very different from this car, the car we saw, um, it does seem that some of those pieces are coming together. So we'll keep you posted on that one. It's, it's one I think we should put Marshall on the possible rather than as yet probable list but there are other things moving as i'm sure you've seen and i've seen in terms of what might or might not be happening with aston martin and a rejuvenated potentially rejuvenated valkyrie uh, lmh program might that happen if so will it be 23 might it be 24 might it be vaporware we don't know yet it's a straight answer i'll believe it when i hear a little more about it and i am in the process of asking questions of the people that would know. There is a lot, there are a lot of moving pieces right now, all of them positive but exciting. 
what else do we have? We have what I have comfortably confirmed, I would say, uh, the participation of a fourth GTP, if we're talking IMSA, or LMDH, if we're talking Weckety Weck Constructor, that being Liget. Uh, mm-hmm. They were very kind to decline to comment when asked if they had been engaged by an auto manufacturer. Uh, everything that I have heard from some pretty darn good sources uh, tell me that, yes, indeed, Areca, Delara, and Multimatic will have uh, the fourth member of the band playing, just still trying to determine exactly which manufacturer uh, is going to be or is the one that has engaged them for a project. So happy to hear that, right? That says oh, very much growth. So. That says continued growth for this GTP slash LMDH thing. So quite happy about that. What else do we have? Ryan Hunter Ray confirmed for Chip Ganassi Racing in the 01 Cadillac DPI for Sebring. The uh, Ganassi team has chosen, since there is a unfriendly conflict created by IndyCar on Sebring's traditional mid-March date, uh, they dropped a Texas IndyCar race uh, on that same weekend. And while pretty much all the IndyCar teams that also compete in IMSA planned on using their IndyCar drivers in the third driver role, the endurance driver role. There was a plan initially for a lot of flying back and forth to try and contest both rounds. Had Ganassi say, no, (laughs) we're actually not going to do that. We're just going to focus on Texas instead of Sebring. And so as a result, Scott Dixon will not be in that 01 Cadillac as planned. So, they have hired Ryan Hunter Ray to step in there, a former very recent over or winner overall at Sebring with Mazda. So it's a good call there. Uh, we'll see exactly what they decide on the O2 car. The Meyer Shank Racing Team winners just a few weeks ago. Overall, the Rolex 24th Daytona had Elio Castro Neves signed as their endurance driver for the year. Elio has been yanked from that. Have not heard exactly who the team is going to place in as their third driver, the number 60 Acura ARX 05. But indeed, Elio will now be staying in Texas to race there. And then the last driver that I know of uh, who would have potentially been going back and forth, that would be IndyCar rookie Kyle Kirkwood, reigning Indy Lights champion. Uh, driving for the AJ Foyt team in IndyCar is meant to be the third driver for one of the two Lexus's Vassar Sullivan Lexus size at Sebring, and uh, that has also been canceled. So uh, the Vassar Sullivan team should be announcing a replacement for him, all because of this wacky conflict IndyCar has created. Yeah, and everyone hopes they don't ever, 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 ever do that again. <laughs> so uh, that's a slice of of some of what's going on, some of what is being written about or has been reported. With that, my brother, as the person who picks the categories that we bounce through, uh, tell me where we're bouncing first, brother man. Let's 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 start with ACO Rules Racing. We're in the middle of a two-week quickfire season here in uh, Abu Dhabi. So let's start this week with the ACO style of things. That's the uh, WEC, Aslam's, Elms, ACO uh, section of it, where, by the way, in the wake of... I'm afraid the 
sad departure of LMD Husky, because we now know that is LMD Hybrid. We do have LMP Husky here, because Ooh. on the side of the, we do, on the double um, race winning, Nielsen Racing, Oracle 07, uh, there is, it is filled with Nordic script, and have a look at um, Daily Sports Club to see what I mean with Nordic script, but there are three Easter eggs on that, um, so there's three little graphics on that, one of which is a graphic of Rodrigo Salas, the bronze driver's 13-year-old Husky, uh, whose name is Shadow, I've seen pictures of him, is absolutely gorgeous, but there is LMP Husky, is now a thing. So let's kick it off with uh, Wick Aslam's Elms and Aiko, and this, by tradition, is where you fling stuff at me. Well, so there's no Easter egg of your Husky, Oscar? I mean... We're going to pretend it's Oscar. We're okay. We're going to pretend it's Oscar. I should also say, which we haven't really fully covered... Since IMSA has gone to GTP for those cars, um, and we'll get to that when we get to IMSA, um, is that an even because we had LMDH, which is Husky, in reference to your dog? Does GTP fit even Ooh. better? I don't know if he leaves puddles around the house, but uh, that he, might he, actually. He, he used to okay. in anxiety, but now he's now he's now he's chilled. He's absolutely no problem. He's a good boy. Good boy. He's a very good boy. Very good, very boy. good boy. Speaking of good boys, we're going to open the show with you and Wayne, aka <laughs> at Smoking Puppy 841. Ooh. Look, it's a dog themed episode of the weekend sports cars. He asks, apropos what you're doing right now, do you think the Asian Le Mans series will look at removing the LMP2 amateur pit times in the future? This is hashtag me personally. The LMP2 AM crews are all capable of performing live pit stops. The approximate three minutes lost to the Nielsen entry yep. took away from the overall races in Dubai. So we're going deep already to yep. open the show. I've been explaining this. So we've got four LMP2 cars here in the UAE, one of which is entered in LMP2. The others are entered in LMP2 AMs. That means they've got two bronze drivers apiece at least. And they do have time pit stops. The other car, the Nielsen car, does not. Uh, and that has meant that uh, race one, uh, they won that race by four laps. Uh, race two, it was somewhat closer, and particularly after a, a problem with the driver's side door for the Nielsen car, but still won that, I think, might just have edged it to two laps at the end. And Ewan is completely correct that the majority of that was in pit stop time lost to the LMP2 AM cars. I happen to think it's it's not a rule that's required on Voyage, uh, really. I think it maybe was a rule that was written when they expected to have a rather fuller field of LMP2 cars. In part, that was impacted by the closeness to the Asian Le Mans series by the Rolex 24 Daytona. In part, it's been affected by the closeness of the freighting schedules to uh, the European Le Mans series schedule, which was not moved to accommodate it. And that cost them dearly in terms of LMP2 and LMP3 cars, in particularly from the UK and uh, Western Europe. So uh, for me, I completely agree with you. I, I think it's it's a rule that it's it separated the class. Were we here with six, seven, eight cars and maybe four in each subclass, there might be a bit more common sense to it. But even there, yeah, well, you, you've got to look at the teams that are involved here. They've all done this a lot. Nielsen may be new to LMP2, but they, here's the thing. They're the only team that actually uh, doesn't have to do the uh, the slower pit stops. So 
for me, it maybe was the rule makers being not quite fleet enough of foot to respond to the the real world, what's in front of us, completely agree with you is the honest answer. Do I think they're going to change it? They won't be changing it for this weekend. Got a couple more Asian Le Mans series round one and two questions before we get to Le Mans, Weck, and ELMS. John Schultz says, I love Conrad Motorsport in their Janetta LMP3 car, but it was so frustrating to see how their two mm-hmm. races played out in Dubai. How can we sh- ensure that future P2, P3 generations are more competitive in terms of performance in holding a uh, decent place in the sales market. Uh, I I agree with you. I mean, really encouraging performances. Uh, sadly, we've not seen Franz at the wheel of his car yet. That was promised, but someone turned up with the one thing that Franz Conrad will never turn down, money. And uh, the Franz has stepped aside. But I think we will see him in the Michelin Le Mans Cup. Now, I'm not sure, because I know you've been busy with the preseason uh, for uh, IndyCar, Marshall, if you've read or heard anything we broadcast from Dubai, are you aware who the team manager is at Conrad? No, no. Ralph Yutner. What? It is. <laughs> what? Ralph Yutner uh, in semi-retirement has come out to play, and it, it, their garage has been pretty intense because there's been all sorts of things going on, but actually great fun when you can um, when you can actually get the guys to kind of focus on something other than hammering bits back onto a Ginetta. Um, and in particular, because, of course, my uh, my um, uh, commentary colleague, Ollie Gavin, has, ri- has driven for um, both Ralph in the uh, ITC, I think it was, it could have been DTM, 1996, and won the Sebring 12 hours with Franz in the Celine against uh, the team he joined almost immediately afterwards. So uh, great fun there, trying to persuade the pair of them, by the way, to do a podcast with us, but they are very busy. But yeah, two things about it. One, by far the most encouraging run we've seen for the newest iteration of the Ginetta, uh, ran solidly in second place in a nine-car LMP3 field in the hands of local-based Jordan, Jordan Grogor. Um, Grogu in the second race. Grogor. Oh, Grogor. sorry, was thinking. Yeah, uh, no, thought we had a no. Yoda moment there, but okay, my no. apologies. Uh, that's fine, but uh, but unfortunately, um, Carla itself down a little bit. But they're learning, but learning fast with this car. And as I say, the good news is that they're going to carry on from the Asian Le Mans series program with a Michelin Le Mans Cup uh, effort for Comrade Motorsports later in the year. Uh, how can we maintain that kind of better competitiveness? I think and I hope that lessons have been learned um, in LMP2 from the way in which the Joker system bluntly didn't work. Uh, everybody does get a blank sheet of paper this time. So all of the uh, LMP2 cars are effectively clean sheet designs. It's not like last time where Orica had the opportunity to build on their 05 with an upgrade and for that matter to tap into the aero programs they'd had with um, prior iterations of that chassis in LMP1 and LMP2 bases. It is a brand new day and you would hope that at that stage that we should start with this this being closer, that we should start with this with tyre uh, development being across the board with all four chassis. I have spoken 
through representatives at senior levels of all four chassis makers. There is a story which I promised last week, which hasn't happened because we've been busy here in the UAE, uh, that, that tries to summarise some of both the opportunities and the challenges there. But um, do I think BOP should be considered if we do get a separation within that class? I 100% do. Um, I've gone on the record before now as saying that I thought this licensing issue to restrict the marketplace was not the way I'd have dealt with it. I think if you have gone down that road and you are forcing the marketplace to look at four alternatives, you're sort of responsible for making sure that that pretty hefty investment is not completely wasted, aren't you, MP? And yeah. if you've got if you've got BOP for GT3 and you've got it for GTE and you've got it for hypercar, uh, why wouldn't you have it for the others? Bearing in mind, they've actually got a spec powertrain anyway. Why wouldn't you have BOP if there's an issue for one or all, or any of those chassis in performance terms? For me, I I thought the Joker process was flawed. It clearly did not do what it should have done. I think they got themselves too hooked up in the process of allowing teams to catch up to the dominant chassis, in this case the Orica, but not over, overtake it. And what it actually left them with was trailing somewhat. Um, they, I think there was too conservative an approach taken to that. And I hope they have learned lessons because if they haven't, then I think the manufacturers involved are going to be somewhat louder this time. Yeah. Louder. We're going up to 11. Matthew License. Oh, pal, Matthew License. Currently self-isolating with COVID in the UK. Oh, oh man. Oh, man. Uh, uh, let me decline this call that's coming in, by the way. Hey, we're trying to record a podcast. Person who doesn't know that on the other end. How dare you? Um, Roger again. Yes. Again. Roger, come on, man. Leave me alone. Uh <laughs> <laughs> did you see that they're trying to hire about 19,000 people, by the way? I did. Yeah. Yes. All kinds. If only I had skills that were relevant and wanted to <laughs> move my family to Germany and like German food, it'd be the perfect opportunity. Um, Meat sweats. Yeah. <laughs> how did you, how did you know my stripper name? Thank you. Uh, uh, Meat sweats Pruitt coming to the stage. Uh, Matthew says he's currently isolating with COVID in the UK. So super excited for this week's podcast. Well, We'll see after you hear it. I uh, really enjoyed the first Asian Le Mans series weekend of 2022. Uh, what can be done to get more yeah. LMP2s on the yeah. grid for next season, as it seems to be lacking this year? Jet GT definitely makes up for it, though. He's completely correct. GT, we've got 20, we're back to 23 cars here this weekend. We do have an additional LMP2 here this weekend. Paul DeResta um, sharing with young Josh Pearson. Um, who has turned 16. He's a fetus. Uh, two, <laughs> two days ago. So now can be licensed to race in LMP2. So United Autosport join the show. So we'll have five P2s. But Matthew, you're completely correct. I think, to be blunt, it was a miscalculation on the part of organisers not to see the difficulties that would the, the calendar, the calendar here and the calendar in Europe would present. To give you the realities there, that meant if you are a UK-based team with the freighting deadlines that are around, and at the moment, as many people are aware, global logistics are less than reliable, that I think I'm correct in saying that the freight would arrive back in the UK 
less than a week before the start of the prologue for the European Le Mans series in Paul Ricard. With, by the way, the cars having just completed two back-to-back four-hour races with no rebuild. So um, not ideal, and that absolutely did cost entries. Now, could I kind of give you an estimate as to how many entries across LMP2 and LMP3? By my reckoning, 10, 12 cars that coulda, shoulda, woulda been there if that particular aspect and some other aspects in terms of the cost of logistics this year have been addressed. I can tell you for certain that at least one team uh, pulled out a multi-car LMP2 effort on the back of one of those two factors. Um, certainly other teams pulled out LM3, uh, LMP3 cars. What do I think we could have had? I think we could have been certainly grazing at least double figures for LMP2, and I think we would have had a significantly larger LMP3 effort. Bluntly, all things being equal, and in these complicated days, of course, nothing is. We are, I'm afraid, in a world of all sorts of compromises. Uh, what was a what is a 37 car entry here could have been something in the mid to high 40s. Mm. Why don't we move the party to? Uh, we're going to move it to that Weck Elms Lemans thing. Mm. Pal Gregor Pietrowitz says, "What are the chances that we will see Peugeot in the WC at all this season, Graham? As we are approaching the Le Mans entry deadline." And I'm uh, sure I think that's we'll, a question lots yeah. of folks would love to uh, have an answer to. Yeah, I think we will see them. Um, when we see them, I think we're going to know very soon. So latest I saw, I think with an interview with a French newspaper that suggested we should, they sorry, not that we should hear, but they will announce what they're going to do within the next two weeks. Now, that's sort of the same deadline for the Le Mans entry list, I think, because they, the last pieces in the jigsaw are going to be formed by the three automatic invitations that are awarded here to the LMP2 class winners, uh, to the LMP3 class, class winners, and the overall GT uh, class winners. So once they're done, and that will be done by this Sunday, you're then into the final tasks of slotting together the selection process for the remainder of the entry. Now, I, I will apologise. It's a question I did mean to ask whether or not there is a date by which they plan to announce this. I've not asked that question. I think Pierre Fionn arrives back with us uh, here in Abu Dhabi tomorrow. If I get the opportunity to ask him, I will do so, and I will pop it into one of our paddock notes. But uh, the answer there is we're going to know either because they announce it if they're smart or otherwise we're going to know because they won't be on the list for Le Mans. What we know is that they effectively have two options, three options. If you include don't come and play in 2022, but I don't think that's on the cards. Option number one is they would have to enter the spa six hours uh, in order to uh, enter Le Mans, the ACO made it reasonably clear they don't want any car, particularly a new car in the top class, to make its first appearance at Le Mans. So they would have to do a race beforehand. So that's what's going to determine um, their willingness to do so. Is the car going to be ready in competitive trim um, and homologated, of course, fully uh, to contest the Spa race in May? Their second choice is to, you would presume, 
uh, is to uh, debut the car at the European race following Le Mans. Uh, so we have one more race, and that is Monza. In from memory, is that July, August time? Uh, so that's their second option. The third option is, as I say, I can't see them. Can you, MP, wanting to debut that car at either Fuji or Bahrain? That doesn't seem no. to make sense to me. No. Um, yeah, there might. I mean, if there's if there's issues in testing, and I'm not hearing there've been any, I'm hearing quite encouraging things. They might decide that Bahrain might be an outside possibility as the end of the season as a kind of guest appearance. But I'm not hearing any indications of anything other than them wanting to get that car on track as soon as they can. And I would have thought they would want to take the opportunity for a significant day in the sun um, and an appearance at Le Mans if they can possibly do it. Uh, I would be surprised and disappointed if we saw that they weren't. And I think if they we found out that they weren't, that indicates that maybe their test program hasn't progressed as quickly as they would be wishing it to. We are going to Pavel, Pavel, I think. I'm trying to, my eyes yep. are not working that great for me right here. This is uh, with such a stacked LMP2 WEC grid, which takes approximately 15 spots already, Graham, as well as all the invitations yep. for LMP2 ELMS cars. Do you see the ACO expanding LMP2 for the Le Mans grid? Uh, to beyond 25 entries at the cost of maybe GTE AM entries and so on. P2 is, boy, it, it's, uh, I guess, the, the French equivalent of GTD for IMSA each year <laughs> at the Rolex 24 at Daytona, right? You seemingly yeah. have half the grid populated by one class. Do you think our friends in France are going to try and allow that ongoing growth to just keep going at the expense of other classes or do you think they're going to put the reins on it i think the answer here is um i think they've got a massive challenge coming and it's coming soon and i hope they've seen it because i certainly have um everything we hear and you summed up beautifully at the start of the show mp what's coming in terms of potential for in wet terms the hypercar class in imsa terms gtp uh, and that is beginning to fill up capacity in the WEC and therefore at Le Mans. And that capacity is at some point soon going to overwhelm the loss of a GTE Pro class in pure numerical terms. We're going to have full grids, I'm pretty certain of it, in the WEC for a little while yet. Um, that is going to squeeze LMP2. The other thing that's going to squeeze LMP2 is... The, at the moment, I mean, this year we just had a fantastic grid announced for the 2022 uh, European Le Mans series, 42 cars, of which 17 are in LMP2. Only one of those teams is a two-car team, and I think it's either six or seven teams that are new or returning to the LMS in LMP2. It's a, it's a cracking grid, 13 GTE cars on that season list. Um one of the reasons why that grid is so healthy, particularly LMP2, is because it's a strong chance that a team coming forward with a high-quality effort um, in a second year or beyond is going to be selected for the Le Mans 24 hours. Now, by my reckoning, the numbers that I'm coming up with, uh, I think that that proportion of the LMS entry that will, by rights, see uh, them getting the telegram that says we rather than not, 
uh, from the ACO is going to decrease and decrease rapidly. So uh, to give you, for instance, of the 17 this year, I'll be staggered if we don't get close to double figures of that, uh, that total at Le Mans this year. In subsequent years, with the top class growing and growing quickly, that number might half. So are you going to get 17 teams rocking up with a pretty high budget uh, for half the opportunity to get the race that they all want to go to? I'm not sure that they will. And I hope that our friends at the ACO have spotted that challenge because that could start to hurt rapidly their pyramid, including the Asian Le Mans series, as well as the the, uh, European Le Mans series. And who knows beyond that what impact that might have in LMP3, etc., or the Michelin Le Mans Cup. I hope they've planned for that and they've got a way of responding to that. It's for a very positive reason, but what we do know across all of motorsport, and particularly endurance motorsport, is you ignore your customer base at your peril and I think there's a risk here. So um, what are they going to do? Uh, generally speaking, I, I, I can't give you this as a kind of official um, answer, but in casual conversation with people that are, have been in charge of making those decisions across a number of platforms, in ELMS, for instance, LMP2 is what they're looking for. They want to boost that entry as much as they possibly can. GTE supports that, and any... Um, reasonable space between will be taken up by the available options in LMP3. So little doubt in my mind, for instance, that LMP3 teams were turned away from the LMS this year. I don't think any LMP2 teams were, and I don't think any GTE teams were. And I think the same kind of thing applies, albeit that you're looking to get balanced grids for the WEC as well. So they're looking to populate the top professional classes. Of course they are. That's where a lot of the commercial punch marketing punch for the series comes from and then beyond that lmp2 is very important and then there's the opportunity to complete the grid with with what is available from gte am that i think there will be exceptions to that but that i think is the general rule of thumb the mon is different uh, always will be and indeed should be and then we've got those challenges challenge number one the size of the top class challenge number two the need to continue to try to stimulate uh, growth and movement into and through the development and continental series. Challenge number three, GT3, and it's a brave new world. And there, you can imagine, can't you, it's like trying to stem the tide. Uh, There are going to be dozens of teams that are going to be interested in going to Le Mans with machinery they've currently got or will have by 2024 when that becomes a thing. That's the next challenge for the ACO, is how do you determine who gets what opportunity? And I think there's a lot of teams at the moment, MP, that are stated, uh, stating in their public uh, public uh, statements that, because of course you do state in a statement, saying in their public statements that um, they would like to have Le Mans and the WEC on their future plans, that probably are gonna be very disappointed. Um, it's an opportunity in, in GT3. Uh, it may not be an opportunity that that many teams get the option to experience. There we go. Let's see where else do we go here. <clears throat> Why don't we go to our pal Stuart Hart? 
This is after Daytona mm-hmm. in the first ACO races of the year. Do we have any paddock talk, Graham, on the state of play regarding which teams are in line for, say, LMH or LMDH programs in 2023? That goes for both factory and customer cars. Okay. And are most teams confident about what programs uh, they'll be running in 23? So, yeah, we do know some of the answers yeah. here, but there's also some questions. Yeah, I mean, the, 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 I think in terms of 2023 and factory teams, the only thing at the moment that's in any doubt for me for 2023 are those really quite odd uh, interviews that emerged in the fringes of the Aston Martin Formula One um, launch with Lauren Stroll making off-the-record comments to some journalists. And yeah, these are not journalists um, that are unfamiliar with uh, Bluff and Bluster um, that seem to indicate there might be a plan for something with Aston Martin. Again, I think I need to kind of work the contacts database pretty quickly with that one to see whether or not there's any prospect of that. I'm pretty certain that the Valkyrie in its current form is not ready for competition. Um, There is this Valkyrie, the AMR Pro 002, as it's known internally, um, that is effectively the uber hypercar version, way more power than you'd be allowed in competition and probably with more radical aero. Um, I tend to question whether or not, with all the problems that Valkyrie's had with the customer cars, whether or not there is time to do something worthwhile for 2023, but it's possible. Uh, I'm certainly not going to call Lawrence Stroll a liar. That would be uh, wrong of me. Uh, but I, what I would like to understand is exactly what kind of approaches have been made to the people that matter, and they're the people that write the rule book and sit on the technical committees and will be able to say yes or no um, to the return of a project that it has to be said ruffled a fair number of feathers when they pulled it the first time. That's the only one for 23 in factory terms that I believe there's any kind of question mark around, other than maybe by Collis. And I, I, I don't know if that one, I think Colin Collis and team have got to get themselves, their ducks in a row in terms of the, um, the challenger otherwise to their use of the Van Wall trademark. That I think is the key to that program ever being seen in the FIWC. Uh, that appears to be the wrinkle. In terms of customers, there's a huge mix between those I'm pretty certain we are going to see. Um, and I'm not going to make announcements for them, but I think it's pretty well known that Proton Competition um, are keen to be multi-car customers for the Porsche LMDH. I have heard from a number of of other teams, some of them already in the WEC paddock, some of them in the LMS paddock, some of them in neither paddock, uh, that they would like to be customers for that or the Audi LMDH with the uh, with the Multimatic chassis. I have heard other very credible teams, existing sports car and insurance teams, that are or have been in active conversations with other manufacturer LMDH programs for potentially as early as 2023. I've equally well been in conversation with a third group who are the ones that will not make it to the uh, to the, the the grid in 2023, but might be talking, targeting 2024. 
So what do we expect for 2023? I think we're going to see a smattering and probably not much more than that of customer LMDHs. I'm not aware of a single plan at the moment for a customer LMH, unless Jim Glickenhouse sells a car, uh, which I hope he does. He sold one, and that's the car that's been campaigned on behalf of his customer. So one of those cars is owned by Jim and his family, and the other car is owned by a customer and is campaigned by the team. Um, but I think we'll see a smattering of those. I'm not going to speak at the moment to the Weather Tech Sports Car Championship. That's not uh, a paddock I've had the opportunity to prowl to that degree. But um, I think we're looking towards 24 and beyond for the realities of those programs to come together. This is a very significantly more expensive formula than the existing LMP2 and indeed for that matter GTE in terms of the price of the cars and the operating budget for them. It's a big uplift, uh, millions of euros of uplift uh, for those kind of programs and as we've said repeatedly on the weekend sports cars don't forget that the price of an lmdh is rather closer to the price of a gte car than it is to the price of a uh, lmp2 car which means the teams that operate the gte cars have got customers and investors that are somewhat closer to the the realms of the numbers that are going to be required here and again we'll we'll mention it's been mentioned to me more than once List price of the Porsche LMDH rumored to be around two and a half million euros. Uh, operating costs for a full uh, WC season when we get back to uh, the eight races or so that would be there, about five and a half million euros per season. So that's a very significant investment that's going to be required uh, by a team, its backers, and its investors and its drivers to obtain those cars and then have the budget to run them. Throw one more at you, uh, Adam Farrell. How you doing, Adam? Says, do you expect to see an expanded WEC calendar next year? And if so, how do you rate the chances of Silverstone returning? Um, I think we're going to see a gradual return. I hope. Uh, I believe we're going to start to see that. I don't think we're going to see it just leap from six to nine. I think we might see it go up uh, in a graduated form as we recover from where things have been. There are, uh, and apart, this is not me teaching my grandmother to suck eggs, there are significant remaining hurdles to normality for global motorsport. And it's not just WC, uh, even putting aside the trials and tribulations of, of Southeast Asia, which remain, uh, Formula One has had its problems. The global logistics industry on which we rely utterly to get stuff from A to B, and in particular, in a timely and economic way, which means generally, if it's economic, it's sea freight, has been pretty much decimated by the outturn of COVID. Um, there are far fewer options. There are far uh, less, the, the options appear to be less reliable than they were. I don't think I've been to a significant race meeting at all um, in the last year, where we haven't had at least one, or in some cases, all teams affected by late arrival of freight. So you're going to have to be conservative. You're going to have to take into account that everybody involved here has taken a pretty sizable hit financially over the last two years from it. So leaping from a situation where you've got an achievable calendar and achievable budgets 
increasing that from six to nine, of course, means that you're broadly speaking increasing your budgets by about 50%. That's just not going to be sustainable for the time being. So I expect we're going to see a graduated return to it. Silverstone is an interesting question. I can tell you that um, the LMEM are very conscious indeed that there is a significant and important both fan base and indeed customer base with the teams and the manufacturers um, in the UK. And it is it is not where we were a year and a half, two years ago with COVID, with the issues about kind of border trouble to do with COVID and for that matter Brexit. I think they are looking for a road back. Whether or not that will be in 23 or beyond, I think depends on exactly where we stand. Don't forget either that there are other marketplaces where we've traditionally been that we've simply not been able to go uh, for some considerable time. And and you've also got to look beyond that as to who it is is going to be racing in uh, 2023 and beyond with the factories coming in. They will, of course, seek to influence the choices of LMEM and the ACO in where the WC goes and what priority is given to them. So to answer the question, I think you're asking in particular, Adam, is there a chance that, that uh, the WC will return to Silverstone? Yes, there's a very, very strong chance. Um, will it happen in 2023? Don't know. It's a straight answer. Do I think that by 2024, you've got a uh, better chance of that happening? Yes, I think by 2024, they're going to be looking to return to something close to a pre-COVID calendar level, eight races, maybe nine. Um, But it's going to be a graduated approach to it for all the the reasons I've said. And I have to say, by the way, I am completely and entirely in support of the reasons for not going straight from six to eight or nine. I think that would be crippling for anything other than than the the big manufacturer teams, and even they are under pressure on those budgets. Where we move? do we go next, Graham Goodwin? Let Let's go to the uh, the wonderful world of IMSA. What? It's a it's a wonderful place to go, um, and this is where we we switch roles, don't we? And I chuck stuff your way, like First a monkey is, at a zoo in a zoo. Yeah, uh, that's why we put up the glass partition uh, for the show here. But yes, go ahead. Absolutely, it's Fling all away. a bit NATO, Ukraine, Russia. Gregorz Petrovich, Petrovich, my apologies, Gregorz, I've mangled it again. Marshall, what's the current state of the LMDH GTP war between you and IMSA? Yeah. Have they invaded? <laughs> Oh boy! How yeah, their tank, is their tank metaphorically or actually on your lawn? It's just so stupid. Um, I, I can answer this, but I shouldn't. Um, <laughs> I'll just say this: uh, there are some folks who have a proverbial hair up their ass over this and won't let it go. And I love it because guess what? Neither will I. So, yeah. Um, you know what's going to be interesting? We'll we'll see where this ends up uh, 11 months from now. Yeah. Um, yeah. I know this. 
I know from those who are above the purveyors of asshattery, there's no question that we have GTP class and GTP cars, just like IMSA has done some name changing of their own uh, in the past to classes and cars. But there's some folks who really, really, really want it to be known that no, 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 it's just a class name change. The cars are still LMDH. And again, technically, we all know that, right? That That's how they were born. If you look at the regs, if you look at everything else, it says LMDH. No one questions that. We all know that. But uh, yeah, uh, this is just one of those things where you say, what's the, the, the deal that most people complain most about in sports cars, Graham? <laughs> Too many classes, too many names, like just too yeah. much, too much confusion, right? How, yeah. how can we simplify yeah. things to have folks in a department at a major sports car series digging in and being absolutely determined to amplify the confusion? That's the part that just blows my mind. So uh, the state of this is... As you will continue to see me write, Gregorsh, and speak and think, I'll be referring to the GTP cars. And whether the series in which they will run wants to keep doing their thing and add to the confusion, they're welcome to. Um, genuinely, I don't give a fart. Uh, I'm just going to do me. So there you go. Where are we going next, Graham? <laughs> Well, it's oddly enough because um, I do love our, our, our listeners. Uh, they're a bit like you. It's a bit like an Oscar with a bone. And the one thing about Oscar, by the way, the uh, DSC Husky, is you don't take his food off him. Not ever. That's a bad thing to do to any large dog. So kids, don't mess with the dog's food. Uh, Lyle James says, while he's excited about the return of GTP name to MC, he's curious what are you curious about, Lyle? Well, he tells us. Have any of your broadcasting friends expressed any concern about the enunciation requirements that will be oh so important when trying to distinguish GTP, GTD, and GTD Pro during a live broadcast? Or maybe such similar concerns about communication of the different classes when now they all sound so close when pronounced? No. <laughs> <laughs> It's, it's, know it's that the coming. most direct answer I could provide, Lyle. No, uh, I might, I might ask uh, the Lee Diffies and Calvin Fishes and Brian Tills of the world here See, soon. I uh, think they're going to give you a look that kind of says, "Huh." I, well, I do get the point. Maybe yeah. phonetic alphabet needs to be used. Uh, uh, GPT, GTTPP, PDD, GTD, the Golf Tango Papa. Yes. Uh, I would hope while referencing such things broadcast wise, if they were to say GTP, I'd hope that there would be matching images of GTP cars on the screen yep. and same with GTD and GTD pro. So that would hopefully alleviate any issues. The annunciation, I don't think it's going to be too much of an issue. Um, Morse code, but Maybe Morse code, them, them, their cars. I think that's just going to be the new generic reference. We're not actually going to use class names. Uh, I'm actually going to reach out to IMSA and say, hey, uh, 2023, I'm going to make it simple for you. We're stripping class names. They're all gone. Everything's just going to be referred to as 
them thar cars. So them thar cars. Yep. Problem solved. Job done. So is this where we actually do get car cars? I think so. I'm feeling like George Bush on that uh, aircraft carrier. Job done. Okay. We've mission solved. accomplished. Yes. Mission accomplished. So there we go. <laughs> uh, we're not trying to make light of it, Lyle. I, I see exactly where you're getting, getting from, uh, coming from with it. But um, I think Marshall's, no, I've cer- it's certainly not come my way. I take your point. Um, I think we'll deal with the problem as we get to them. Let's move on with Matt Hawkey Hawkins. GTP, LMDH, LMH, with no works Audi in GTP, LMDH, does that mean it'll be full works effort in LMH, WC, or am I missing something? (laughs) You know, uh, uh, first of all, we need to announce uh, the Week in Sports Cars acronym Grand Prix uh of endurance so yes well, acronym grand prix sponsored by accurate we have to make sure that people understand that they're two completely separate words yes exactly uh i mean this might be more of a you question graham since we're talking uh, yeah the answer is for gtp in imsa read hypercar in wec that's it gtp is the coverall for the class hypercar is the coverall for the class in wec and in both of those classes, GTP, you can have both LMDH and LMH cars, and the same applies for WEC. That's it. Yeah. Uh, so he's wanting to know with no Audi in works yep. Audi over here. Uh, yes. Does that mean there would be in Weckety Weck? And can you fill us in a little My bit? My understanding there? is that in the affirmative. And the, the closest I can give you in terms of confirmation of that. Um, it, well, there's two things to, to, to confirm that that's the way it's heading. One Isn't is there another acronym too? WRT involved here? Bingo. And go and have a look who the drivers are for WRT for their coming season in the FIWC. And also go and have a look at Daily Sports Car as to who's going to be sitting in the seat next to me uh, in the WC TV booth for the coming season because it isn't the little Scottish chocolate biscuit feet. It's not him, um, and there's a reason for that too. So the answer is, oddly enough, I was on the phone to someone when uh, we were about to record this earlier and was offering to me you know, a thought that had been put into their ear that there might not be an Audi Works program. I, I utterly reject it. My belief, whatever happens with Audi and Formula 1, I know the rumour is going there, is no matter what happens, there will be a factory-backed LMDH Audi program, uh, and that program, I think, will be multi-year. Whether or not that's multi-year, two years, remains to be seen. We don't even know what's going to happen you know, next year in many cases in the world, never mind two, three years hence. Um, and beyond that, we will see. The other quick thing, which I know we didn't cover in the preamble, which is a conversation I had at Daytona uh, around the... GTD Mustang program with Larry Holt, one of my favorite people in motorsport, uh, where, amongst other things, Larry confirmed that uh, Daytona, by Daytona, they had just completed the first Audi LMDH chassis. So Audi, the Audi program is literal now. They actually have hardware uh, for that program. So uh, could the Audi thing start as just a customer program? I don't believe so. I think you're going to see a... Uh, WRT run, um, WEC based uh, factory program, and my 
expectation is that will be for multiple seasons. 10-4. What are you hurling at me next? Oh, it's me, it's me to ask you, isn't it? Sorry, because I just answered a question. Gentlemen, um, JJ Gertler says, following your recent discussion of the VAG group and its many racing brands under the LMDH GTP rules, how distinct does one brand have to be from another? Can say Audi and Lamborghini share chassis? Power plant, what parts have to be unique to the brand on the nose? Or can the VAG cars be all exactly the same except for a sticker? As I understand, uh, JJ, the only thing that must be unique is the bodywork styling. So, can use the same motor, can use the same chassis, just got to look different. Uh, so, how a Porsche LMDH uh, might differ visually from an Audi LMDH or Lambo or whatever other um, uh, brand under the uh, Volkswagen group uh, might join in. They just got to look different from one another, even though they might sound uh, identical. So that's the only thing that I know that must be unique, my man. But no, uh, say using the quote Porsche bodywork and just slapping Audi or whatever stickers on it would not be allowed. No. Yeah, I think that's a good thing. Yeah, we're looking here for brand separation, aren't we? We're looking at what, what everybody's looking for commercially here, and that means the factories and it means the championships as well, is for those manufacturers not just to go and race, but to activate that racing with their wider marketing, both at events and beyond that. And that's what we're looking for. That's what it, it promises to give to us. Let's move on. Matty McDonald says, like UMP, initially, I just wasn't really seeing the 956 part of the styling on Porsche's new LMDH GTP VPI or whatever, but thought maybe the headlights will help. Now we've seen them, it's not a bad-looking car, but hashtag me personally, says Matty, if they think it looks like a 956 now, they need to pull their heads out of <laughs> their tailpipes. Is this just a thing they're saying for the attention and engagement? He's finding it kind of irritating when he just wants to be excited by the awesome new Porsche. Marshall Pruitt. Don't, Matty, don't make Graham mad. It's been a few years since he's gone green and turned into the Hulk on an episode. So come on, buddy, is, dial I'm it down. Always angry. Yes. Uh, you and I are perfectly aligned here, Matty. I don't get it. Um, maybe there's someone within Porsche who saw a rendering of potential body styling before what we've seen presented in camouflage and lockdown. And now with the new headlights added, Maybe something before what we have observed exists in the real world was seen. Maybe a rendering of some sorts gave a powerful person at Porsche, as I use a lot of words that start with the letter P, the feeling that the 956 had been invoked somehow uh, with the, the hashtag front nose area. I don't see it like you, as I've said. I Trust me, I love me some Porsche 956 and 962. I know exactly what they look like. I've seen them race in person. I've seen them in vintage events. I've got photos galore of them that I've taken, blah, blah, blah. It ain't there. <laughs> it's just, it ain't there. Um, if I had talent, which I don't, I would probably try and take one of the photos 
that Porsche has released of the new GTP LMDH VIDP whatever. Um, and I don't know, paint a low and brow Porsche Miller Porsche, who knows what some sort of memorable, well-known nine, five, six, nine, six, two era livery onto the front to see if that does something that it isn't currently doing, but yeah, I don't know. It, it it's a strange thing, Graham, when you have mm. a, the most successful manufacturer of all time in sports car racing, right? Uh, just mm. deciding to say something that yeah, maybe I'm in the minority. Maybe Maddie's in the minority. I don't know. Maybe everyone else goes, Oh yes, we do see it. But at least for my eyes, it's just strange to have a, the most successful, most authentic sports car racing brand. There is kind of making up nonsense. So I don't know what to say, Maddie, but yeah, uh, I don't see it and maybe that will change, but, uh, we'll see. Hashtag let's wait and see. Well, let's wait and see indeed. Uh, you, can, you could just say that's the starting gun, isn't it? All sorts of Twitter, Twitter-based Photoshop nonsense now. There's your challenge. Uh, if you have the required skill, get yourself onto Twitter with your Photoshop version of the Porsche LMDH in a classic Porsche 956 or 962 livery and get the opportunity to say one of the following two phrases, Marshall, you're right, or Marshall, you're wrong. That's the challenge. We'll we'll talk about that one next week. Stephen Gates says, with the Andretti Formula E team, uh, rumoured to be close to securing Porsche powertrains for 2023, does this mean we could soon see a Porsche customer LMDH in Andretti hands for IMSA? Well, they're looking for a programme, aren't they? They are. Spoke with Michael about a week ago. Asked him if and how things were going in that regard. He said, yep. Still talking with people, still trying to put something together. Be interesting for sure to see Andretti aligning with a brand as a customer. That just doesn't strike me as a very Michael Andretti thing to do. Now, of mm-hmm. course, we would have to look at their current Formula E program and say, well, wait a minute, didn't you just go from being BMW factory team to now a customer team since BMW has withdrawn and ready has struck a deal to pay for their electric power plants and whatnot and technical support. So that role has reversed, but it's gone from being a big lucrative factory effort to well hey we're in a bit of a lurch now that you're pulling out so can we strike an agreement to continue using your uh, formula e power plants if they were able to secure porsche for example in formula e i think that would be great but this is a team that already exists and sharing of power plants leasing of power plants in formula e not totally abnormal in the absence of being a full factory effort. I would not see how Michael would be enthused about being a second fiddle uh, customer team in GTP, knowing that Porsche Penske Motorsports is going to be the leader in this space. So the Michael Andretti model for any and everything that he can make so 
is to be the factory team, or even if he's one of multiple factory teams like we had in the American Le Mans series when they represented Acura, Michael's about being paid by a manufacturer to run a program. That would make me think, unless someone's throwing crazy money at him, to run a customer Porsche L, uh, LMDH uh, at Le Mans type deal and GTP in America type deal, unless that happened, I think we would be more likely to hear of a uh, Andretti Auto Sport McLaren GTP deal or name some of the other rumored factory efforts, Lambo, Bentley, blah, blah, blah. That would be more in the Michael Andretti uh, form of doing things, Stephen. So uh, I, I'd be surprised. I'll tell you that. Uh, it wouldn't really fit his modus operandi. Uh, Graham, why don't we pick a couple, uh, maybe one more from here, and then maybe one or two from the other categories and say farewell. And then get ourselves done. Well, let's go with one from, uh, he's multitasking again, not not only pulling these questions together, but also popping one in there for us to answer, or in this case for you to answer. And I suspect with what we've got coming up in a few weeks' time, this one's pretty pertinent. Do IMSA, IndyCar, and NBC need to make a more concerted uh, effort to ensure that clashes don't happen in future. Hashtag me personally. I get the need to have hashtag date equity. Date equity. Get, you, know, you remember the song yeah. that uh, Andrew Baca oh, yeah. put together it's, for us? It's 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 back on Twitter. Date <laughs> equity. Equity. And getting the most out of the TV window. Ultimately, the people who lose out are fans and the drivers who want to do both. And in some cases, the teams. Yeah, well... I feel like I've provided a lot of clarity on this in the past, <laughs> and even recently, but I'll happily do it here to close uh, the IMSA stuff. Uh, IMSA does not need to do anything in this specific topic uh, to make a more concerted effort to ensure that clashes don't happen in the future. As yep. I mentioned on my Week in IndyCar listener Q&A show yesterday, if you want to attend the 12 hours of Sebring, 20 years from now. Pull open your calendar, tab forward to 20 years from, to 2042, and find the middle weekend in March, because that's where it'll be. And you can do that 50 years from now and 100 years from now, and right? You could go back however many years, and what are you going to find? You're going to find the middle weekend of March as where Sebring takes place where is it falling this year graham goodwin hey march 16th through 19th guess what we always know where sebring is just like we always know where the rolex 24 daytona happens to be last weekend of january and again if it lands weird and it actually happens on february 1st fine but we know where to look so this does not involve imsa imsa did nothing wrong here as rosie jumps up the back of the chair and climbs over my shoulder. Hey there. Hey, Rosie. Uh, yes, when Rocky's asleep on the other side. Uh, this is an IMSA, friends. This is IndyCar and NBC creating a conflict. Um, I, I, it's one of those weird things, right, where folks say, you know, guns don't kill people, people kill people, right? The gun doesn't fire itself. The bullet doesn't fly out of the barrel on its own. Uh, 
that's maybe way too harsh of a uh, parallel here, but NBC, which happens to be the single partner broadcaster of both series, NBC said, hey, IndyCar, we can offer you a live network date on March 20th uh, in Texas would work for us if that were to happen there that obviously takes place the day after the 12 hours of sebring we know that practice starts graham thursday of race week there um practice and qualifying friday or anyways could be friday morning but regard qualifying could be that's moved around a bit over the years obviously with the wc coming in uh, the wc now more or less owns the friday at sebring so we have a situation where IndyCar was offered network TV by NBC on a date that they have traditionally avoided, knowing that this is IMSA's weekend. This is where folks are going to be looking first and foremost. NBC offered it. IndyCar had an option to say yay or nay. They chose. So do you blame NBC for offering it, knowing, because NBC is going to be broadcasting Sebring, uh, NBC knowing that they have just created a very unfriendly potential situation for IndyCar teams, IMSA teams, the Ganassis, the Andretti's, the Vassar Sullivan's, the uh, et cetera, et cetera's that would have folks going back and forth uh, because of this conflict to have to practice and do mandatory stuff at Sebring. Uh, before going back and doing stuff at Texas and then going back, blah, blah, blah. This was an offer made by the broadcaster. IndyCar did not have to accept it. IndyCar accepted it. So to me, do you blame NBC for creating the potential of a conflict? Do you blame IndyCar for saying, well, hey, guess what? This is what's best for us. Screw IMSA, because that is what they did. Screwed IMSA pissed off IMSA to no end. Um, options were created. Options were presented. The least friendly decision was made, one that was in the sole interest of one series. And here we have what we have. Uh, so hashtag date equity. Yes. Um, I just really hope IndyCar doesn't, IndyCar doesn't do this again next year. And I hope NBC learns from this. That Come on, man. Uh, pay respect, right? Uh, I think I, we mentioned in a previous episode, Graham, IMSA, if they wanted to, could absolutely drop a race <clears throat> at the end of May every year, which is traditionally where the Indianapolis 500 is held. They could, absolutely could if they wanted to. Massively stress the IndyCar ecosystem by then forcing its teams that participate in IMSA <clears throat> not only with drivers, but with crew, potentially. That's also a common thing, right? Uh, crew members going back and forth to su support both programs. Indy IndyCar could have the same kind of conflict presented to them uh, by IMSA, if IMSA wanted to. But uh, yeah, that's the thing that's most frustrating here to close. IMSA respects IndyCar and respects its fans and therefore does not try to trample... Uh, it's best known events. The fact that IndyCar is clearly demonstrating a complete lack of respect for what is IMSA's biggest event. Most fans turn out. This is the 
longest, most storied endurance event uh, in endurance sports car racing in the USA, and I'm talking a professional level, right? Been around longer than the 24 hours of Daytona. Um, it's just disappointing, man. You, you really don't want to see yep. uh, mommy and daddy fighting. And uh, one side picked a fight here and seemingly doesn't care. Mm, not great. Let's move on to complete uh, MP, and uh, we're going to take some uh, questions from the general, hit general, and fun uh, areas. I'm going to grab the first one. Uh, Dave Alcock uh, at Jazz on Java from uh, the Twitter Twitter RT asks: Is that a TVR Speed 12 being used on the cover of this episode of Twisk? He asks: Does Dave, as we were built just about 20 minutes down the road from where he lives, that must be close to Blackpool? Uh, in the northwest of England. What a wonderfully crazy car that would have been on the road. It actually isn't uh, Speed 12. It's a TVR, T-Fun 400R. It's a real, uh, it's a representation from the fantastic Roger Warwick of a real car, uh, the Eclipse Motorsport uh, TVR Tuscan R originally, and then renamed as a T-400R. Seven were built. They all still exist. Astonishingly, that car is now a road car. Uh, that car was converted to a road car by its uh, by its new owner. Uh, three of the others are racing and historic racing. The other three are in storage. Um, but it's a T400R. Uh, the TVR Speed 12, a somewhat earlier and more extreme uh, version of the TVR uh, brand. And bizarrely, if I'm right, we've got uh, another TVR question. Where have I missed that one? I did see one. Oh, yes, I have. Austin Zessman says, in fitting with the TVR artwork, GG, do you have any memories of the Speed 12? How long do you think it could have lasted in the 24 hours of Le Mans at the time? About 24 minutes, I think. Uh, he says, it was a pleasure to meet you at Daytona. Same to you, sir. Um, yes, I have lots of memories of the Speed 12. Uh, it was absolutely my era uh, for starting in my kind of post-governmental career when I could actually work as a freelance writer for the first time um, for me covering the British GT Championship. So I saw most, if not all, of the races for the Cerberus B12. There was a prior car to that. A beast of a thing. Yes. (laughs) It's a beast of a car. Absolute beast of a car. And I think I'm right that two of them exist and both are road registered, one with the original TVR engine in, and the other one with an Aston Martin V12 engine in, which is the better-known car, one in a museum, one that is still used uh, as something of a show car. Um, yet my my most vivid memory involves Daria Franchitti, actually, of that car, and that was a race at a splendidly rainy Snetterton, um, not my favourite circuit. Uh, very early in my reporting career, uh, just huddling under a Pratt perch uh, on the pit wall, Stetterton, because you can't see anything from the press room, so the timing screen. The race in its class won by Marino Franchitti, um, who went on to win the class in the championship that year. And it was only after that race had actually finished, I realised the guy had been sitting two seats away from me, two stools away from me, with nobody in between me that I completely had not noticed was indeed Dario Franchitti. Uh, the reason the TVR rings a bell from that is the car just disappeared, uh, having, I think, had a pretty good run, may even have been leading the race. And I simply didn't find out 
what had happened. And I wrote, I don't know, some, I can't remember what nonsense I wrote, but there'd been some problem out there, only to get utterly berated um, when it appeared on TV that what had happened is this beast of a car had lost it on a ever more wet track, uh, coming down through a sweeping right-hander towards the end of the lap, had careered off onto the infield, at which point the uh, fasteners for the rear end of the floor, it was a two-piece floor on the car, had failed, and the damn thing just ploughed itself a ramp. Uh, so the TV pictures of the time showed this car almost looked like it looking like it's going off a ski ramp, um, having ploughed itself a ramp and then just dug itself in. I think it took something like half an hour to 45 minutes to physically dig the car back off and get it back to the pits. So that's my memory. Happy memories of that car actually sometimes surviving races and doing well in the hands of a number of uh, really good drivers in the car. But the, the thing was an absolute animal. Um, in some ways... I'm sort of pleased it had its day in the sun and there was then um, put out to grass two race cars, one of which was effectively converted to a road car. And I think only one original road car uh, exists after they cancelled the um, prospects of putting the thing onto the road as a real proposition. It's a frightening prospect. It really was a proper animal. But that's my memory of the TVR Speed 12. All MP, right. You want to grab a couple? Yeah, I'm going to grab a couple, and then I will pass the uh, the old baton to you to say farewell. Mm-hmm. Adam Bowman asks, is the spirit of Daytona team completely dead? Well, the spirit is not dead. It is alive in a ghostly fashion, Adam. Not competing, though, in IMSA, but actually building cars that are sanctioned that compete in IMSA. They took over the build uh engineering and production of the uh the global mx5 cup cars the itamitsu uh mx5 cup series that is sanctioned by imsa one of the most electric products uh that we happen to see hit the track uh the the folks tom long and uh, his whole family glenn long after the loss of uh um, tom's mom and uh, some other things uh the folks who were putting together uh, and building and supporting the MX-5 Cup Series. Uh, they bowed out, and so uh, the Fliss, Flisses, Troy Fliss and the Fliss family, uh, they indeed have taken over that. So uh, team's not gone. Team's just been repurposed to make little farty-sounding uh, Mazda MX-5s that put on awesome races. Uh, Dave, yeah, Dave Heisen says, okay, I'm a podcast crossover. Ooh. Thanks, Dave. Uh, says first lay down the flattery you guys are good together seriously my only question for you Dave is a podcast crossover from where Uh, Mm. there could be a lot of podcasts that you're crossing over from so we need to know this stuff Uh, he says hey this sporty car thing got me playing a lot of catch up lots of letters and numbers hey IMSA let's add more acronyms to GTP LMDH (laughs) right because clearly yes that works Dave is proof that he loves it. Uh, he says lots of letters and numbers. IMSA 101, please. You I have said I have repeatedly I'll do this. Yeah, and, and you just, lie. You lie to our I listeners. Did. I am. You just, said I'm, earlier I'm, in the show I didn't call you out on it. I'm doing it now. You said you I'm love our listeners. Just, you don't. You loathe yeah, them. Fox, you hate them, folks. You should yeah. see 
the letters. No, he doesn't email me. He actually he writes <laughs> handwritten letters about how much he about hates you all. People individually, it's <sighs> going to be said. It's absolutely true. The answer is, Dave, it is a really good idea. It's such a good idea that, as uh, Marshall is berating me correctly, I have repeatedly said I will do something along those lines for the major championships. The, the bit that I did do... Uh, and is on DSC is I did do a 101 um, to explain the difference between LMDH and LMH. So that exists. That is on Daily Sports Car. You can find that under Sports Car Racing 101 on the search engine there. But you are completely correct. What we actually need is, I think, a somewhat entertaining but accurate glossary of terms i think we'd say at the back of a book wouldn't we so let's have a think about putting that in fact uh, what you can hear me at the moment doing hear that is me writing down that on my creakingly large to-do list so i will try and get on with that i thought you were sharpening a pencil in your ear so it is a it is a pencil so but, i can um, why don't we give dave a little something though for talking imsa 101 okay. so you've got five classes two are designed for full pro auto manufacturer factory efforts. The other three are amateur minded pro am mm -hmm. something where gentleman, gentlewoman driver tends to be a success in business member of the lucky sperm club, right? Uh, born into wealth, something along those lines, uh, get paired with professional drivers in those classes so we have basically two all pro and three pro-am semi-pro classes it's kind of easy to tell what's what based on the naming if it has numbers in it you know it's pro-am and if it has the word pro you know that that's pro and although it's confusing as to what the top class is going to be referred to by the series, we know I'm just going to call it GTP and the cars in a GTP. But right now we have DPI. That is the top class among the five, the fastest that is mostly professional factory teams involved there, but you can always have amateurs. And then below that, on the Pro-Am level, Dave, you've got LMP2, so that's the number thing. If it's got a number in the name, you know it's Pro-Am. And then LMP3, which is even more of a training development class within the uh, the WeatherTech Championship. Then you have two GT classes. They've made it really easy to help us know which one is Pro and which one is Pro-Am because they done stuck Pro in front of GTD. Or, I'm sorry, after GTD. So you've got GTD Pro the new home for factory GT efforts. Although again, you can always have amateurs competing in any and all the classes, but DPI right now and GTD pro really are intended for factories. And then the rest LMP two LMP three and just plain old GTD GT Daytona. That's where pro am entries are uh, really the norm GTs two classes prototype three classes that's maybe the basic tenets of an imso 101 graham yep. once he stops hating all of you will actually do what he has <laughs> promised many times 
I will. Uh, one other quick tip, actually. I'm pretty certain on the matchless Andy Blackmore spotter's guide, which uh, IMSA produced for each of the races, I'm pretty sure that includes much of that information with an example of the differentiation between the two, which includes, by the way, in IMSA, and for that matter in WC, different coloured number panels, and in IMSA, the rear, rear wing M plates too, for each class. So have a look at uh, one of Andy's spotters, guys. They're, they're well-promoted. Spotterguides.com, I believe. Indeed. Yes. And I'm pretty certain that that does include information as to how you can trackside or watching on TV differentiate between the classes. But you are completely correct. Um, it is terrifically confusing. I found myself, MP, doing a quite extensive interview with Finnish public television today. Um, it's a documentary that's uh, been put together for one of our uh, one of the drivers here in the Asian Le Mans series. And that was the first question, which is, this is very complicated. How do you explain it? Uh, and so it's not just you. It's them. It's everybody. Uh, we do need to be clearer uh, if we're going to kind of expect to draw the benefits of this fantastic new era that's coming. This is significantly more complex than most other motorsports. And it's significantly more complex for one reason. It's not one race. It's two races, three races, four races, five races, depending on the number of classes. And I think sometimes we do forget that that brand new audience does need a bit of help now and again. So uh, I, I, I don't know about you, but I'm ashamed and sorry. And I think you should be too, MP. I am ashamed and sorry about you, but you know, we're, uh, we're going to push on and persevere. <laughs> uh, why don't you take the one from right turn lever and then I'll close with good old stitch Turner. And then we're going to say farewell. Yep, as a right turn lover, hello right turn lover, our friend from Switzerland, says, has a successor successor to Tunnocks. Tunnocks, if you're not familiar with it, is a Scottish brand of confectionery, uh, usually a wafer biscuit, uh, which is covered in chocolate and uh, has lots of caramel uh, in it. That is the McNish snack of choice. He eats them by the truckload. Uh, every single race. It's astonishing he's not the size of a truck. Um, he so makes he them with his that. fellow elves in trees. He does. Yes, overnight. He does. Yes, and then he eats the product. Uh, is, Don't get high on your own supply, McNish. That, that's what we've <laughs> what learned. Is the food item to be glued to the FIWC TV comms booth ceiling? Has that been selected already? This is in reference to the fact that confirmed last week is we are going to have a change in the TV comms team for FIWC TV. Uh, Alan, after, I think, three years with us, uh, will be moving on. No idea what he's going to be doing. I don't know about you, but I've no clue what Alan McNish is going to be doing. It he's could be lazy. on the streets, what we know. Truly. Pardon? He's just lazy. Like, all we hear, all we see are photos of his amazing yep. wife, Kelly. She's just sharing photos of him, like, waking up mid midday, 2, 3 p.m. on the yeah. couch, cheeto dust all over his face empty yeah. diet mountain dew bottles all over like just his underwear pizza boxes looking, strewn around looking like that guy at the end of dodgeball oh yeah completely 
So, but, but now we'll get him to maybe dress like a pirate. Um, oh. and yeah, so actually breaking exclusive scoop, uh, McNish will be commentating on the Ocho ESPN 8 going forward <laughs> since we've cracked open a dodgeball reference here. Uh, but yeah, he so, sucks. He sucks. So I'm glad they got rid of him. Truly, the guy is just low achievement, lame, never done anything in life, just no. stays up all night watching bad TV. His yeah. wife has to kind of kick him off the couch. Uh, the, on, his lovely oh. wife. His lovely wife. Amazing His wife. lovely wife. But poor. Yeah, but Poor wife. I mean, come on. She deserves better. So that, yeah, I'm glad they kind of broomed out the, the nonsense there. Yeah. So, so he's gone. <laughs> um, so I'll, I'll, I'll move on to uh, new pastures. And instead we've got 2014 FIWC drivers champion and Davidson will be our driver on list there for the uh, coming season. And I am utterly delighted with, and as a replacement, if you're familiar with his work uh, on TV in Formula One, you'll know that his, uh, his skills in analysing quite often the most phew, difficult things to kind of spot. He's, he's extremely good. I'm expecting great things from Ant. The reason for the question is we did get into the habit of very specifically Martin Haven, the freakishly tall lead commentator for FIWC television, did get into the habit to restrict the damage into the stock we keep of Tunnock's um, chocolate biscuits of gaffer taping the packet to the ceiling of the booth, which therefore, for the somewhat vertically challenged Mr. McNish, made it more difficult to, for him to get to them quickly. He is able to scurry. It's got to be said. That's a good word, scurry. So eventually they would be kind of found. So the question is, what will replace the Tunnock's? What is Ant Davidson's snack of choice. I believe, looking at Ant's kind of level of physical preparation, you know, his dedication to the cause of professional racing, spinach, I think, almost certainly spinach. So I think we'll be nailing spinach to the wall or indeed to the, the top of the wall or the ceiling um, of the WCTV booth from this point forward. We'll, we'll let you know how that goes. I but, still yeah. want to see... Tunnock's placed into a pinata and Alan blindfolded and given a stick. And it I, would, I, it would stand a chance. Yeah. Yeah. All right. We're going to close with our pal stitch Turner. It says in the spirit of the new naming convention, Graham of chicanes at Daytona and Lamar, for those who uh, didn't catch this friends at Daytona international speedway have renamed the bus stop chicane that runs between turns two and three on the NASCAR oval there. I uh, renamed that the Lamar Chicanes, and our friends at Circuit de la Sarthe have renamed the first chicane on the Mulsanne Strait, the Daytona Chicane. Uh, Stitch is asking, will Marshall now be broadcasting from Goodwin Studios in the Bay Area, while Graham broadcasts from the Pruitt Studios just outside of jolly old London? Should we do that? Should we put out a press release? We could do that. I was thinking something more. So now we've got LMP Husky, which we explained earlier. I wonder whether, in the spirit of uh, what we were being asked a little earlier about the uh, the MC one on one by Dave Heisen, whether or not we should rechristen LMP two as Oscar. Ooh, I was just going to say, I'm going to start calling our ten year old cat Rocky Oscar, and you can Ooh. start calling your dog Ros- Rosker. Rock- you can start calling Oscar Rocky, and we're just going to confuse the living crap out of our yeah, pets. But th- should we do is, that? Think about it. You you know cats. They don't often respond to a name, whereas a dog always does. 
and that that's that's an uneven challenge. Um, we'll we'll see. I'll I'll think that one through. But uh, I think if I came in and took, called him by another name, he would look very disappointed in me and sad. And the last thing you want is a sad husky. Sad husky, bad husky. And he is, remember, always a very, very good boy. boy. Very. He's a very, very good boy. I just want someone to say that about me sometime and pat me on the head and hand me. Could be a dog it's bone. Could be a, could be a biscuit. Could, I might eat it. Is, yeah. You, you, you can boy. pay for that kind of service. Hey, hey, hey. Hey, hey. All right. Well, I'm told. I don't know. I'm, 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 I'm told. Yeah. That Let's was a calamitous home, episode. We? Why don't you end the misery? <laughs> I think we should switch it off here. Yes. Um, that was it. That was the week in sports cars uh, from me, Graham Goodwin in Abu Dhabi, from Marshall Pruitt in the barrier, uh, Bay Area. Uh, I'm in Abu Fremont. Yes. Abu Fremont. Are you? Yes. Okay. That's where he is. Um, it's the United States somewhere. I don't know. Um, with thanks again to Cooper Tires, to the Justice Brothers, and to TorontoMotorsport.com. Thanks to all of you uh, for sending in the questions. Thanks to Daniel Summerskill for again putting them together so promptly and so effectively for us to help shape this show. This has been part of the Marshall Pro Podcast. Weekend Sports Cars will be back next week when I'm back in the UK. Thanks very much. We will see you next week.